on this episode of In The Rack Podcast. Reckless In The Rack series is, because this is now part two, because it's our second one. Um, this is where we have a little story time. And it basically is um, where Nick and I share stories from our patients. And that's why we call it Reckless In The Rack, because some of these stories are pretty, what we call reckless. So, what's the, what's the, what you got? Welcome to In The Rack Podcast, where we provide you with a practical framework for breaking PRs in all facets of health and wellness. We are just a couple of bros giving you the simple hows in a world of complex wants. No filters, no scripts, no rules, just straight talk. Talk to them. Now, let's get into the rack with your hosts, Dr. Chad and Dr. Nick. All right, everyone, welcome to episode number 10 of In The Rack Podcast. I am your host, Chad, and with me is my co-host and fellow physical therapist, Nick. Um, this is our 10th podcast episode, first milestone. It's pretty sweet. I mean, I can't believe we've actually hit the double digits. I mean, I can actually remember when we were thinking about the first episode, and that took like two two years. So, <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> so it's good. I mean, we're, we've just been banging these things out and we're just having such a blast with these things. So in honor of the 10th episode, I think it's time that we get a little reckless in the rack again. And this by, again, I mean, it's the second time we're going to get reckless in the rack. Um, for all of you guys that listened to the last reckless in the rack, it actually did pretty well and we got a lot of great feedback on it. So I think we're just going to roll with it and just kind of keep it going. So for all of you that are just following us now and don't know what the reckless in the rack series is, because this is now part two, because it's our second one. Um, this is where we have a little story time and it basically is um, where Nick and I share stories from our patients. And that's why we call it Reckless in the Rack, because some of these stories are pretty, what we call, reckless. So we like to share these stories not only because they're reckless, but some of these stories actually may sound familiar, and that's perfectly okay. We hope that some of these stories sound like your story. In fact, that's the exact purpose of the series. So uh, we hope that it does coincide with some of your stories only because you can maybe benefit from some of these stories and actually what we're saying in result to these stories. We honestly didn't really even know which way this was going to go. We thought it was going to go upside down, to be honest, but we got some pretty good feedback. So yeah, we're just going to keep it rolling. And uh, just in case you guys were wondering, Nick and I have plenty of stories. So this could go on forever. So if you guys keep liking it, we're just going to keep doing it. So uh, for all of you that are just joining us in this episode, we are going to provide just a few quick stories and give our two cents on the story. So what do we get for our first story here, Nick? And and just to reiterate too, we're not trying in telling you these stories, it may sound like we're bashing other people or other providers. That's not the case. We're not trying to put ourselves on a pedestal. We are simply just trying to urge both, you know, patients, clients to advocate for themselves and then other practitioners out there to continue learning, continue listening, continue growing because the fields, really all of healthcare is is changing. We're learning more about the human body every day and we've only scratched the surface. So you have to continue learning out there in order to provide the most optimal care when you're dealing with human beings. And that's all we're, we're encouraging people with these stories. We're just trying to, um, you know, enlighten people to that. And before I get to my first reckless story, I just want to tell a little, another little story. So Chad and I were working out on our break. I think it was a Friday. So everyone else was gone. Um, so we normally take a break from 12 to two, get our workouts in, in the middle of the day. 
kind of shut the clinic down. Still answer the phones. But nonetheless, it was a Friday. Afternoon was slow. So it was we pretty much closed down a little early. Chad and I were just getting after it. I'm dripping, dripping wet with sweat, like always. That's not not <laughs> abnormal. Not abnormal. Chad's got a tank top on because Friday, day's over. So we're both lifting. And we notice on on the the camera that someone's up front. So I'm dripping wet. So I'm like, Chad, you got to go, man. You got to go check this out. <laughs> so it was a woman who was inquiring about physical therapy. And she must have asked Chad probably five or six times, wait, so this is physical therapy. She was so blown away that, one, a physical therapist would be in a tank top. <laughs> Two, that a physical therapist would have that physique. And three, that music was blasting in the background and weights were dropping on the floor. Yeah, okay. she honestly didn't believe a word I was saying until we actually started talking about rotator cuff repairs. Yeah. And then she was like, oh, okay, I'll just take this brochure. I was like, yeah, you take that. <laughs> so it was pretty funny. But nonetheless, uh, I, I suppose here we're always giving you a moral of the story. Moral of the story is find yourself a physical therapy clinic that's just like that. You walk in and you're like, whoa, this is this can't be physical therapy. You actually question it. You know, that's that may be a place you actually want to be. Yeah, and don't judge a book by its cover. Correct. Don't do that. Yeah, if you see a book with a mohawk on it. And- it's probably a good read. <laughs> Very good read. All right, so anyway, let's get into the first reckless story. So this is this is one of my favorites only because it's one of my favorite patients. And, and again, we're going to give these, um, you know, pseudo names, fake names, whatever you want to call them phone names. And uh, this one is going to be, so those med balls, SPRI, I don't even know what the SPRI stands for, but the med balls that say, I call them spry. So <laughs> this person is going to be spry because this is an 81 year old male. Um, is he spry? Is he a spry? Exactly why I went with the name spry because this, this individual is the definition of spry. Still so lively. Nonetheless, this individual I saw a few years ago following uh, knee surgery and then was gone for a while. And then came back to me. And when, when he came back, I was like, whoa, what happened? Come to find out, he had uh, surgery on his low back a couple months prior. And actually did pretty well with that. Was, was you know, gaining back strength, all that kind of stuff. Mobility after the lumbar surgery. And I believe it was just a laminectomy. But at his, um, I believe it was eight-week follow-up post-low back surgery, expressed some concerns about how his balance had declined a little bit to the PA. It wasn't even the surgeon yet. And the PA was like, whoa, that that uh, that might be your neck. We got to take some images of the neck. So before the surgeon and the doctor even gets in for the, the checkup, they take images of the neck, 81 years old. I mean, you're going to find some arthritis, all that kind of stuff. So now they got this in front of them, this image, and they're saying, oh, man, we got to do something about this neck. You know, and they started asking more questions, neck pain. Of course, he's had a little bit of neck pain here and there, but this guy is, he he downplays everything. So now they're digging, 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 and, you know, they're trying to find out what's going on with this neck. Nonetheless, leads to a seven-level cervical fusion only three months after his lumbar surgery. So not even saying that this surgery wasn't warranted. Maybe it was. I didn't see him at the time. I didn't see him prior. Uh, I just know that what the images showed was arthritic changes and narrowing of the joint spaces. But nonetheless, they went and did a surgery only months after a significant back surgery. Now, what, what where my brain goes is we're not treating the individual there. We're just treating the image. We, we, we did back surgery, and now we see neck on the, on the images, and we do, oh, man, we got we to gotta operate on that too. We got to do the same thing we did the back. So then this individual comes back to me and Spry is in rough shape. Spry has now got 
uh, significant deficits in grip strength on one side, significant deficits in, um, you know, proximal strength, so shoulder strength on the opposite side, numbness, tingling, can't move the neck, all that kind of stuff. So really just can't, can't turn, rotate to, to look behind him, all that kind of stuff. And he still drives, he still works. So he needs to be able to do that kind of stuff. So literally this was a situation where we weren't treating the individual or these providers weren't treating the individual. They were just treating the images and the, the, the injuries at hand or the, the, you know, the changes, the arthritic changes, they weren't not asking the right questions, or at least I don't think so. They weren't diving into it deeply enough on an individual level to determine if surgery was actually the right course of action, especially at the time, right? If this was years down the road, okay, it's a little bit different of a situation. We're talking three months after a significant orthopedic surgery, we're going to jump right back in and do an even more significant one. Pretty crazy. Yeah, that's and I know who you're talking about. And Spry is a spry guy. And I'll tell you, this is this guy started with physical therapy with us and actually progressed to training with Nick. And he trains with Nick what once or twice a week or something. Yeah, yeah. he's he's on and off. He's he's mostly once, but um, he's he was doing twice for a while. Um, and now it's just it's once. He's he still works like crazy. Like he works more hours than we do. Um, he's constantly working. Uh, so I, I give the I give the guy a ton of credit, but. Um, and he's the most grateful guy we've ever, yes, ever probably absolutely, met. Absolutely. He comes in here and works hard, but I feel so bad because a lot of these things he struggles with now are a direct, um, you know, r- response of yeah. the, the next surgery and where we could have, have possibly the, been avoided. The if radiculopathy, maybe all that kind of he stuff. He had the right advice yeah. in the first place, maybe absolutely. to get either referred to physical therapy or, or another yeah. provider that could have helped him yeah. avoid that. that and surgery. he very well may have had, may have had radiculopathy numbness tingling at the time. He claims he didn't, but he may have according to whatever tests they did. But when he re, you know, recounts the story for me, he, he claims he didn't have the weakness and the numbness tingling that he has now. He just had the, the neck pain and the immobility. Um, but again, we can work on that stuff. Yeah, we're not going to give him you know, full neck range of motion like he had when he was 20, but that's okay. We can still make it functional. And, you know, he really just didn't have the opportunity to become functional again. Yeah. And that's, that's not unusual. And uh, we always try to push people away from having surgeries, especially with the spine. I mean, I don't know what the success rate is. I don't know what the research is saying. I just know what from I've seen and it's, it's not great. And actually, I mean, this isn't one of my stories, but I'm just going to say it really quick because it's just a quick tidbit. The last guy that we had that had a laminectomy surgery came in, you know who he is, super nice guy again came in for he had like some radiating pain i think in his hip maybe his like hamstring it really didn't go all the way down to his foot i don't think maybe occasionally um but it didn't really stop him from getting around and moving and doing his daily stuff like work but he ended up having that surgery and after that surgery not only did he still have the numbness that he had previously but he also had drop foot and um the surgeon was not going to take blame for that and you know what and sometimes that can be inflammation and that can settle but uh three months later no, no change. So um, he had to get a second opinion, and I think he's probably going to be undergoing another surgery for that. Yeah. So unfortunately, but that's that's what it is. But that's why you guys listen. We got to create awareness on this. So when it when it comes to orthopedic surgery, a lot of times it, you should always be at least getting a second opinion because there's a lot of ways to do things out there, and there's there's always more every year. There's there's more advancements. There's more techniques developed. So now. You know, for example, take ACLs, right? It used to only be one technique that they did. And then there was two. And that was a big thing when there was two different graphs. Well, now we're approaching four. We're, we're even getting more. We're approaching five, six different options for ACLs. So you can see how 
there when when that's the case there's they're always looking for a better way to do something so if there's five six seven eight options for one particular issue we should probably seek a couple different opinions and then take all that information in ourselves and that would be advocating for yourself so that's why we encourage a lot of our the people who come through our doors to oh that's what the the doctor told you well i encourage you to go see another surgeon and just get their opinion as well if they coincide okay maybe it is the right the right move but if they're opposite all right now we gotta we got some thinking to do maybe get a third yeah and just to kind of piggyback off what nick just said especially with the acl reconstructions and this kind of has to do with if there's a surgery that involves multiple different ways about it like hip replacements and such um it it is all going to be dependent on the surgeon and sometimes a surgeon even though there could be a better way uh, they've been doing that technique for the last 20 years and they're not going to change that. So, and that's not to say that that's a bad technique. It's, if it's not the technique that you're looking for, it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to go with that surgeon. I would get two opinions, if not three. I mean, if I was going to get surgery, I'd get three opinions. So just know that just because they're offering you that doesn't mean there's not other options. They're just not, um, experienced with doing those other options. So they feel comfortable. They might not be the exactly. person for you. Exactly. Good way to put it. Okay. So. My story is, this is a woman, uh, actually recently just saw her a few weeks ago, and we're going to call her Vivo, and for all of you guys that know Vivos, we love Vivos, and it's it's Vivo, not Vivo, by the way, so I learned that when I first started working with Vivo, so so this woman, Vivo, she is a 45-year-old female. She's had a history of low back pain on and off for the past few years, like we all have, nothing crazy, not really too much on the radiating pain kind side. But she did get occasional like hip stuff here and there, but it was very, very inconsistent. So she was riding a motorcycle with her husband. And this was, I think, I want to say this was like three weeks ago. She was riding a motorcycle with her husband and they ended up hitting a bump in the road. And if you've ever been on the back of the motorcycle, the uh, a motorcycle gives a little kick and she wasn't ready for it. She actually didn't even know the bump was coming. So what ended up happening is the motorcycle went down, it came back up and hit her right in the tailbone. And she felt like extreme pain right after that. No other pain besides like right low back pain. She ended up going to bed that night, felt okay, no significant change, woke up the next morning, couldn't move her right foot. She had dropped foot overnight. So she's freaking out. She doesn't know what to do. She's like, I got to go to the emergency room. I got to get this looked at. She gets to the emergency room. She tells the doctor everything. And the doctor goes, okay, let's take an MRI of this. Let's see what's going on. She said, okay, let's do that. So she gets into the x-ray room or the uh, MRI room. And the MRI tech or the radiologist comes up and says, so I'm just reading your your notes here. And I just want to say that you might want to talk to the doctor and see if you might want to get a different kind of image. And she's like, I don't know what you mean. So she's, <laughs> she goes in the office and it, the script for the MRI is for her ankle and not for her low back. <laughs> this is wild. So, and, and the radiologist was blatant up front, up front about it. He was like, listen, uh, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but you have the ability to go to that doctor and say, hey, listen, I want an MRI of my low back. <laughs> like pretty much just gave her all the steps to do. All she had to do was go do it. So she's like, all right, I'm going to do that. So she went up to the doctor and said, hey, listen, I just want to see if maybe we can get an MRI image of my back. And he's like, why would we do that? She's like, well, I- I'm-, I'm having a little bit of like numbness in my foot and my foot's <laughs> dropped. I can't move my foot. And he was like, well, how was I supposed to know? You didn't tell me you had any back pain. I'm like, oh my God. So here we go. This is how it starts. 
Like this guy can't even differentially diagnose the fact that she's got, you know, referral pain from her low back, nerve root compression for sure. And she can't even move her foot, but let's take an MRI of the ankle. So that's how that first started. And the, and the well, ankle, and they probably found some stuff that was wrong too. So they, <laughs> they, they potentially could have ended up doing something crazy totally. to the ankle. That yes, can happen. Absolutely. That can happen. So this is how this, this is how this shit happens. But thankfully, she did not get the MRI on the ankle. She got the MRI of the low back. Thank God. But following that, she got her MRI results. And of course, it showed bulging between L4-5 and the 5S1, which we would typically see. But it wasn't severe. And uh, like we we always say to all of our patients, you know, just because the image looks bad doesn't mean that you could be symptomatic. I mean, they say that 80% of everybody that gets an MRI to their lower back is going to have some sort of a disc issue or degenerative disc disease or arthritis. There's going to be something there. Like you were just saying, Nick, like this, it's they're going to find something, you know. The percentages for for back specific stuff on images are pretty close to age. So if you're in the 20s, it's the percentage is in the 20s to 30s, usually sometimes creeps into the 30s, depending on the study. If you're in the 30s, it's 30s to 40s and so on that that you'll find something on there. And it's probably nowadays, I would argue, a little bit higher because of our lifestyles. But chances are something's going to show up. And there's a a study that I... um, I said a lot of times with patients and it was one person, person was having back pain and they went to 10, they, they, they sent this individual to 10 different MRI centers and there was 49 different findings across 10 MRI centers. Not one finding of the 49 was consistent across all 10. There was only one of the 49 that was consistent across seven out of the 10. So that just goes to show you the variability from center to center, from machine to machine, um, even how they evaluate it. So what they determine to be a bulge herniation, all that kind of stuff. So specifically to the back, but this is has been shown in other joints, knees with meniscus, shoulders with labrum and rotator cuff, everything. So every joint, but it's much more profound in the in the back, the spine. So when you get an image, take it with a grain of salt. Yes, you know, th- those findings do matter because it's, it's a piece of the puzzle. But remember, it's just a piece of the puzzle, right? We have to take in the whole picture. So you want to see, see a provider who is looking at a lot of the picture, not just narrowing in on that image. Just the like, picture. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> like, ooh, yeah. This is bad. We need to get in the OR right now. That's, that's usually not a good indication. thousand percent. And we've seen it. We've seen it both ways where in this situation where the MRI actually looked pretty okay, actually probably normal uh, for most people, and she had drop foot and sy- symptoms down her leg. And then we've seen it the other way where the MRI looks horrible, and they're like, nah, I feel fine. I just went for a run this morning, you know? So it can go either way, you know? And, and people are still amazed when we tell them that story, but it's true, you know? Don't, don't let that get in the back of your head because it can certainly become a mental component to your to your recovery for sure. And that's not to say nothing needs urgent uh, care or, or an right. urgent surgery. There are situations, um, you know, conditions that would require, you know, something to be done immediately, but those are few and far between for the most part. And I would hope that the surgeon or provider is, is very, very adamant about that being this, the common, um, you know, progression for that type of condition. Not so much like, oh, yeah, it's this, it's a herniation. Well, eh, who doesn't have a herniation, you know? But if it's a, some obscure kind of random disease that you didn't know you had and they found it and they're, they're shocked too, you know, maybe it's a little bit different situation, but those instances are few and far between. If something's urgent, you usually have a good indication that's urgent. Otherwise, 
try the conservative route first because you may surprise yourself. Yep. So she got the image, right? And the first thing she did is she's like, what do I do now? Nobody gave her guidance. Nobody said, this is what you got to do. Nothing. Zero. So she's like, all right, well, I know chiropractors are good at treating backs. Let's do that. And before I go any further, we have no qualms with chiropractors <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, we actually work with a lot of chiropractors in the area, and we work together collectively, and, and we get great results. So, But in this situation, she saw the chiropractor, and the chiropractor looked at the image and said, yep, that looks great. I think we can we can definitely treat this. And what does she do? Just joint manipulations all the way up her spine. And I'm like, oh, gosh, oh, gosh. So, and I only say that because I know there's not one chiropractor that we work in the area that would do that. Not not with this patient situation. And Never. joint manipulations aren't bad, but Correct. there's a time and place. A thousand percent, <laughs> a thousand percent. So she called us after that situation. And, you know, I immediately was like, hey, listen. And she's only, she's like a 30 minute drive from us. So I was like, hey, listen, let me do you a favor. Let me find you somebody that you can, you know, work with in your area. Um, that way, you know, you can get a better treatment that you're getting now. And I don't want to see you get worse. So she goes, no, that's okay. I just rather see you guys. So I'm like, nope, that, that's fine. That's cool. So she came in where we did the evaluation on her. Actually, I was like, one of the first things I did with her, I'm like, man, she's got drop foot. I want to take a look and see what these reflexes look like. You know, not one fucking person did a, uh, a reflex test with her. Not one, per- not one person brought up a reflex hammer. I'm like, damn, that's wild. So anyways, not like it's the only thing that we do. because they learned it too long ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that was just like so astonishing to me. So um, anyways, so that was her. And we've been seeing her for a couple of weeks now. And she's at the point where she can wiggle her toes. Numbness is getting better. She's already gaining a little bit of strength back. Unfortunately, it is going to be a journey. But I'll tell you, it's way better than surgery. So, All right. One more story here. So this one, the name is going to be Concept 2 like the rower. All right. So concept two, a uh, 17 year old female soccer player. Okay. This, this individual has been dealing with shin splints since freshman year soccer season. And concept two is going into senior year. Okay. Soccer season is started right for, for high schools. Okay. Preseason is, is among us and games are probably starting next week. So hasn't had a soccer season where shin splints didn't impact and take her out of playing to some extent. And you know, got the whole game. I got physical therapy, um, doctors, uh, podiatrists, all that kind of stuff. So has has seen a whole gamut of professionals. But what the, the consistent thing was, was each year, okay, soccer season's done. All right, well, we're going to shut you down for eight weeks. Let's shut you down completely for two months. No physical activity. And then we'll get you back into it. Of course, after eight weeks of doing nothing, your shin splints are going to feel much better, right? But all we did in that time, if if I'm not going to go deep into this, but you're just going to, your body's going to lose capacity, right? And you're not, you didn't necessarily, you may have healed some of the, you know, inflammation that was going on, but your body hasn't really done anything to strengthen that area or to uh, make itself more resilient to that in the future, right? So if you want to hear more about that, we have a couple episodes going into that. We had one most recently about the whole rest um, and, and don't move your injured area type of thing. So go listen to that one if you want more. But nonetheless, this was the information that she was being told. Her parents were being told. So her parents were on top of her. Oh, no, you can't do that. It's It hasn't been two months yet. Nope, you can't go play with your friends. It hasn't been two months yet, right? So everyone was on board with this. And then, you know, Concept 2 comes back and it's feeling good at first during the winter because there's not much soccer. And then in the spring when soccer starts to pick up again, shin splits come back. Okay, so this 
individual has pretty much lost or, you know, their, their soccer career in high school has been tarnished. And when they were younger, they were, they wanted to play concept Two wanted to play soccer in college concept Two no longer wants to play soccer in college because everything hurts. All right. And in physical therapy concept Two, I asked concept Two what, what, you know, she had done in physical therapy in the past and it was all passive stuff. You know, the only exercise was stretching, which, okay. You know, I would argue that stretches can help a little bit when it comes to some shin splints, maybe loosening up the gastroc a little bit, but we, we have to go deeper than just stretching and we can't just stick to ultrasound stem, all that kind of stuff. I wouldn't even ultrasound anyway, but nonetheless, if you're going to do some passive stuff to decrease some pain, cool. We got to follow that up with exercise. If you want to do some stretching early on when things are really flared up and acute, okay. Then we got to progress into some some load on those tissues of the lower legs, some mechanics, you know, work on some of those movement deficiencies, all that kind of stuff. But we're not going to get into how to treat shin splints. We're going to get into why this was a problem and absolutely tainted Concept 2's soccer playing career. She no longer wants to play, all right? And this was this the, the problem is is that no provider along the way ever thought and said, wow, this hasn't been working. This, this individual keeps having this issue. Maybe we should try something else, right? That's totally fine to say. If what you're doing isn't working, you either need to go back and find something that does, right? And try other things. You know, it doesn't have to be something crazy that might put the individual at harm. But if you try something and it doesn't work, okay, move on to the next thing, right? We have to get creative. So no provider along the way ever said, oh man, th- this, this isn't working. I'm just gonna, you know, I'm, I'm just going to keep, they just kept saying, I'm just going to keep doing this, but nothing was working. All right. So now this individual is at a point where, um, you know, she's got this huge mental, mental block too. So, you know, the mental pieces into it and it might come down to, she may need some intervention or treatment from someone who works in that realm, working on, on the, you know, mental therapy side of things. But this likely could have been avoided if we just approached it a little differently early on. And now she's, pretty much just wants to she changed her whole course she doesn't need she's not even looking at schools to play soccer anymore because of this whole thing that's that's you know matriculated over the past three three four years which is it's just too bad because no one ever said oh man this isn't working i should try something else yeah all too common man it's crazy uh all right well if any of you feel like that you fall into any of those situations um then now now you know you're not the only one number one and number two now you know where you need to go <laughs> or you know what direction anyways. So, all right. So and I providers too, yeah. hold on. And providers okay. that might be listening. If you, if you're not being effective in helping someone through something, ask for help, like collaborate with your colleagues or reach out to another professional. Um, that's the beauty of social media nowadays is you can reach out and, and, you know, develop relationships with people across the globe. They could be mentors to you. You could be mentors to them. Reach out, ask for help. There's nothing wrong with that. Just just because you admitted that you don't know how to best treat said condition, that that's not a negative thing. That's actually a positive. So collaborate, reach out, ask for help. All that all that stuff is good. It's a good thing to do. Yeah, and I mean, I, I'll even kind of piggyback off that and say that there's, I mean, we work with a lot of physical therapists in the area as well. There's one group that um, is is exactly like that. You know, they they have no problem saying that all right, we have an ACL at this point in time, three months, usually four months post-op, and they're at the point where, number one, they don't have the facility, and number two, I honestly don't think that 
they have the, I don't want to say capability because I'm sure that they do. I just think it more comes down to facility and being able to progress these patients like they need to. So they send them to us, you know, and we do the same for them. So, I mean, we're not, we can see post-op right off the bat. Um, but in terms of our model, they're best almost even seeing them. And then we can push them once they get to that point, like, you know, at like phase two or three, when they're ready to be kind of pushed to that next level, we're there for them. So, all right. If you've been here before, sorry, I'm no, just go ahead. On. Do it. If you've been here before, you know that pretty much all, everyone who walks through the doors knows both Chad and myself, as well as everyone else who works here. But you guys know both of us because we collaborate all the time. We're constantly talking back and forth about certain situations. Obviously, if it's okay with the you know with the patient, but everyone kind of loves that environment. And it's not like we're talking about it with other patients. We're talking about it among each other, so we can you know bounce ideas off of each other. So you know someone may come in that I'm seeing, but you know they they walk by Chad or I'm in the bathroom. Or I'm just not in in the room at the moment. And Chad's talking to them about how things are going. Now they're feeling that you know, positive energy and that, that positive environment because, oh man, he's not even my physical therapist and he knows what's going on or he's asking me these questions. So that, that matters. It absolutely matters. And that's, that's the culture that we have tried to, you know, so hard to create. Yeah, absolutely. And that makes it even easier. Like if, if you go on like your one vacation for the year and I got to watch your patients, (laughs) (laughs) I can't, there's not a lot of backlash that we get there. You know, all the patients are very happy to work with either one of us, you know, and that's, that's great. You know, that you're right. That is part of the culture. That's a good point. I've never had a hard time when you've, you don't leave much, but when you've left for like conferences or something, you've never had a hard time seeing your patients because I feel like I already know that. Exactly. Exactly. Because we're all so close as we're treating. So we're all just kind of like in it together. So it it works out well. We love it. We're a little too close (laughs) sometimes. So, all right. So what do we got going on for next episode, Nick? What are we thinking? Oh, it's going to be Randy. Oh, oh, oh. It's going to be a good one. We're going to get into it a little bit. So yes. right now in the uh, really, it's mainly in the physical therapy world, but um, it, it's 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 probably been going on for the last couple of years with regard to manual therapy. So hands-on stuff, whether it's um, something like grafted or instrument-assisted uh, soft tissue mobilization, cupping, stuff like that. Uh, the The rehab world is very torn. So you have extremists on one end that are very anti-manual they won't even put their hands on someone and then you got extremists on the other end that are um, gung-ho manual only manual they barely do any exercises so we're gonna you know we're, we're gonna talk about that we're gonna get into some nitty-gritty stuff we might make some people angry that's okay <laughs> we're not trying to be mean but we are going to talk about it and it, you know at the end of the day we're always right in the middle on most issues, so that's where we're going to be. But we're going to talk about both sides. Yeah, I, and I would, I'm just going to preface this by saying that our practice is, uh, what would you say percentage-wise, maybe like 60% exercise, 40% manual, maybe 70-30? Yeah, I, I would say it probably used to be 60-40. Yeah. It's probably more 70-30. 70-30, yeah. 75-25. Yeah. yeah, so we, we do definitely have a manual therapy and that's Tech. for fit and that's for physical therapy. Sorry, I keep yes. interrupting you, Chad. Um, okay. And that's for physical therapy. If you come in here for training, because we we do strength training as well, you're not getting any manual. Yeah, that's All right. you. You might ask us to, <laughs> to do some manual. On you. No, you're exercising. You you signed up for training. You are training. That's that's the truth. And I'll tell you right now that it's it's almost a fifty fifty split. We get about fifty percent training clients and fifty percent PT patients. So it's it's fun. But yes, I will say that this episode coming up is going to be a good one. And I'm also going to say that it's going to be worth a listen, uh, whether you're a patient, a uh, practicing provider currently, or not, um, or you're a student in a program. And I've got a story behind that too. 
and I'm only going to say it right now because I'm probably going to say it again in another week. But and uh, if he's listening to this, no, no disrespect. So uh, <laughs> if anything, take it as feedback because we had a um, we had a hire come in, and he's been following some of these people that we're going to quote unquote talk about next week. And yes, there may be some callouts next week, and that's that's okay. I'm okay with that. And it's not in a disrespectful way; it's in an awareness way. And I say that because this kid just came fresh out of school, had him observe us for a couple of days. And I said, Hey, listen, before we talk about anything further, I want you to see how we do things here and see if we're a good fit for you and you're a good fit for us, blah, blah, blah. So at the end of his last day, he came up to me and he said, man, I'm really so surprised how much manual therapy you guys do. And I was like, taken back. I was professional. I was like, yeah, you know, that's just how we do it here. But inside I was like, you have no fucking right to say that. You just got out of school. You don't even know, man. You haven't even touched. I've seen more patients this week. You've seen in internships. Don't even tell me what works and doesn't work. So yeah, I'm getting all right. I love about it. But that's that's where the profession is going. And we have all these influencers, which don't get me wrong, they are great, but they take it too far in terms of like trying to feed these people into like their little cult. And uh, that just needs to end. You know, these kids have to make their decisions for themselves or these providers have to make the decisions for themselves where they think that they fit on this, you know, tier, whether they're more manual, not more manual, or maybe they're like a, a half and half or like us where it all depends on the patient. So I want to make that up front and clear. So yeah, I'm probably going to put the E on that one right now because I think it's going to get a little rowdy. But um, yes, it's going to be a good one. And we're, we're excited about that. But what I really want to say is I, I think we're trying to bring more awareness to that situation because it honestly just needs to stop. And like Nick was saying, man, there's there's such a huge disconnect in this profession. It's crazy. Like there can be nobody that can be happy for each other. Like, wow, that's a really cool technique. Instead, they go on your fucking social media and they're like, dude, that doesn't even work. That is so dumb. It's like, dude, keep your comments to yourself. Yeah, Last time I checked, yeah. you have no followers. Yeah. What the fuck? So it's like you get all up in like that and then it gets, <laughs> yeah, you get trolls, man, that like think they know everything. And it's like, dude, you're still in school. I'm sorry. So anyways. If you couldn't yeah. tell, Chad spends way too much time on social media. <laughs> Oh man, imagine how much more time I'd have in my life. Fuck. Oh my God. But anyways, yes. So, and you guys all know what I'm talking about. Like this isn't new news, you know, but we, we want to say it because not a lot of people come out and say it, but I have no problem saying it. I got nothing to lose. We might so. have to put the next episode on YouTube <laughs> yeah. so everyone can see the video. Yes. Of, yes. Of, of, see of my face get all red. Exactly. Oh my God. All right. So anyways, I think it's apparent that these stories are not only crazy, but in our words, we call them reckless. And I think we can also agree that the healthcare system needs some work. Uh, unfortunately, for a lot of our patients, the healthcare system has failed them, and that's unfortunate. And we are sorry for that. Even though it's not our fault, we know that we're kind of clumped in this whole system with you guys. So we do get a little fired up about it because honestly, it's, it's quite disappointing being in the profession and being in the healthcare system and knowing that it didn't serve you well. So uh, we want you to know that we're on your side, and that's uh, that's the main reason why we're trying to create awareness here with this with this podcast. So we understand it will never be perfect, but seems that we kind of hear these stories just a little too often. Like almost every single eval that we have probably has a story that we could probably say. But in any event, we hope these stories 
definitely either, you know, triggered something in you to think, oh man, that kind of sounds like me or somebody you know, and maybe you can give them a little advice or a little direction. That way they don't kind of go down the path that our other patients have. Save them the trouble of getting maybe an unnecessary surgery or a treatment that maybe probably isn't the right fit for them. So in order to end this, we want to say that if you are a healthcare provider and you are listening to what, to what we just said, don't be reckless with other people's health. All right? I think that's like the big thing here. As providers, we can't be reckless with people's health. And for all of the patients that are listening, you shouldn't put up with the providers that are reckless with yours. Thank you for joining us in The Rack this week. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. You can also find us online at ProformPTMA.com or on social media at ProformPTMA. And remember, if you train inside the rack, you better be thinking outside the rack.